welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. So today, or, well, I guess today, in the middle of the night, started rather unusually. It's kind of uh, exciting when things happen that have never happened to you before. But when they happen in the middle of the night, it can be a little bit terrifying. So I got awoken with some wings a-flopping, a-flapping, uh, somewhere in my room, which I originally thought, oh my god, is that a really large flying insect? But as soon as I flipped my light on, there was a bat flying in circles in my room. And my room is not that big, so this bat was doing some really fast circles, and it was naturally quite shocking and terrifying. I was asleep about a minute ago. Now I'm ducking my head to avoid a a flying bat. So I, I jump out of my room to make a game plan. And then the game plan is basically slowly open the door. Don't startle the animal. Try to open as many uh, exit paths as it can to get it out of the room. And I, I open the door to the porch and jump out there. And then thankfully the bat follows me out and takes off. So that was quite an interesting thing. I'll have to do some reading about spirit animals and what what a, a bat... Is there any old old meanings to a bat appearing into your room? kind of a summer, we'll call it a summer bouillabaisse type of episode, maybe like um, like a gazpacho with a lot of different vegetables. So I'm going to read a few things, brainstorm a bit, and we're just going to call it a good day. I've been spending some more time with The Prophet, like I mentioned last week, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, written in 1923, I believe. And I was reading this excerpt on... Um, They have different chapters and different topics, and this one's on talking. And I just wanted to read you a few lines of it. And when we think about talking as they refer to it in this piece, I think it's important to think about texting or engaging our phones as a form of talking as well. Okay, so he's talking about talking, but let's try to think maybe about talking in a broad sense. And then the scholar said, speak of talking. And he answered, saying, You talk when you cease to be at peace with your thoughts. And when you can no longer dwell in the solitude of your heart, you live in your lips. And sound is a diversion and a pastime. And in much of your talking, thinking is half murdered. For thought is a bird of space, that in a cage of words may indeed unfold its wings, but cannot fly. For thought is a bird of space that in a cage of words may indeed unfold its wings but cannot fly. Okay, thank you. Dropping some knowledge. 
One of my favorite parts of the the Up series is that Tony has been trained was training to become a cabbie, then became a cabbie for many many years. Then his wife became a cabbie as well, and he often refers to, you know, something called the knowledge. Yeah, I was on the knowledge. I was learning the knowledge. It took me a year or two, and I finally under I finally learned the knowledge. And I like this concept of the knowledge or the wisdom. In this case, he was referring to memorizing all the roads and routes uh, all around London. I presume that was, that was the knowledge for the taxi cabbers. So what is our knowledge? What is the knowledge for just basic humans, you know, getting by in, in a crazy modern world? That's our question. What's the knowledge? What's the wisdom? The other day someone said to me, it's all about perspective. And I said, amen, sister. It is all about perspective. <laughs> this is a meandering podcast. Okay, on to the next reading of the day. I Yesterday was Rob Young, my friend and mentor's 60th birthday. He is the one who had passed a year and a half ago to a stroke. So rest in peace, my brother. You are with us in spirit. And I was thinking about him a lot, and one thing I did was I went over to the library, because I like to play games, I guess, and I, I go to the biography section, and I just wandered under the initial R and the initial Y, because of Rob Young, and R and the Y, you get it, right? I just wanted to see what I'd stumble upon. I really am I'm drawn to wandering and just kind of letting randomness play in my days and I came across this biography of Rilke R-I-L-K-E and the book is Life of a Poet Rainier Maria Rilke by Ralph Friedman I started reading this biography and like I said I, I feel there's great wisdom in biographies because you just you're exposed to all of the ups and downs and the challenges of other people. And it normalizes your own ups and downs and challenges. Remember, throughout most of history, we had a lot of people around us all the time. So to be very much aware of the ups and downs occurring in all of us. And in a way, I believe that we were in those settings, we kind of insulated we were kind of insulated by the group. So our highs might not be as radically high and our lows might not be as radically low, perhaps. So, but in these times, we're often spent a lot of times by ourselves. So our ups and our downs become, in a way, uh, less insulated. So by reading biography, especially when we're going through tough times or thoughtful times or times where we just want to reflect on life and go deeper, biography is a, is a really wonderful tool. So when I'm reflecting on the life of a good friend, Rob Young, it seems quite natural to wander into the biography section of the library. And it also seemed quite natural for a long bike ride into the woods. So let me start with a, a few comments on Rilke, and then I'll talk to you about the bike ride. So I want to read this paragraph which appears only nine pages into this 500-page book. But it shows you how, the things you don't expect to learn and you just discover when you engage in biographies. 
Because again, you're not leading by a topic. You're not reading a book about exercise. You're not reading a book about gardening. You're n it's more akin to a fiction book than that. But even more so because there's just truth is stranger than fiction. And uh, truth is stranger than fiction. I, I get love for fiction, but there's just so many biographies to read. <laughs> okay, so let me just read a paragraph from here. And I want to, to to point out in the first sentence, they're talking about the birth of um, Rainier Maria Rilke. But for some reason, he was born with seven names. So I'm going to read it, but don't get confused when I read through seven names in a row. So here we go from the book by Ralph Friedman, which I only am just beginning. The poet entered a world without moorings that allowed him no place to rest. I just love that first sentence. Now I'm... Uh, this is me again, not the book. The poet entered a world without moorings that allowed him no place to rest. Here comes his name. René Carl Wilhelm Johann Joseph Maria Rilke. Born prematurely on December 4th, 1875, was at first so weak that his parents had to wait a fortnight before they dared take him to the church of St. Heinrich down the street for his christening. The previous year, a daughter had died a week after her birth, and Fia, the mother, now watched over this newborn with, with excessive care. In fact, during Rilke's early years, she acted as if she sought to recover the lost girl through the boy. Two of his names, Rene and Maria, make plain the mother's attempts to lend him a female identity. For five years, until he went to school, she dressed him like a girl against his father's ineffectual opposition. Quote from Rilke, I had to wear beautiful long dresses, and until I started school, I went about like a little girl. I think my mother played with me as though I were a big doll. I mean, that is very intense, perhaps criminal, and odd way to raise a child. And it just, we, when I dive into a biography and I uncover something very unusual about their lives early on, and I kind of know, I know some of the work and the art or the, the you know, of this character, Rilke. So you kind of see what he produces later in life, and then you see this child put in this very odd situation that's obviously going to um, create a very strange identity. Not only was this going on with the mother, but the father was a very strict military man. So as I ran on to read the next chapter, he is so strongly drawn to poetry and, solely, and so strongly drawn to being a military man. So this is what is, sets up the life of Rainier Maria Rilke. So it's really quite fascinating, and I, I don't know where it's going to go. But if you want to read along, the biography is Life of a Poet, Rainier Maria Rilke by Ralph Friedman. It already has captivated me 20 pages in, and I will be exploring that and the life of Rilke. So on my, on my little bike tribute to a, a friend, right, it's like... We need rituals, and we need. If we don't have them, we need to just create them. So, you know, if it's the day, if it's someone's birthday who's passed and you love, it's fun to do something um, that's thoughtful and with their spirit in a way. And 
I think that's what I think a lot about since Rob's passing is how much are people truly gone who remain fully with us in spirit? Yes, I can't engage Rob in the way he was. I can't engage him anew, perhaps, in a way that I understand, at least, unless he appears as a bat flying into my room. But we engage with the memory, we engage with the spirit. And what's interesting to me is... Yeah, it's just I, I was out there and I was I was thinking about Rob and I was I was open to synchronicities too. I, I was open to this wandering. I think there's there's some wisdom to wandering and to wondering and to synchronicity. And just to kind of engage the world with some sort of youthful curiosity that we kind of have to fight not to lose, not to drown out by the cynicism. So I go out for this bike ride, and I'm out for like, you know, this is a 20-mile ride, mostly through this old rail trail through the woods, which I've really fallen in love with. So as I pedal along, I find myself pondering Rob's passing and then pondering eulogy and biography. How are they similar and how are they different? And how do they play a role in our rituals? Biography, it seems, tells more of the complete story. Eulogy just focuses on the positives for the most part. And in a way, I guess I prefer the well-roundedness of biography. I don't want to just remember people for their good parts. I want to try to remember them for their their whole of their character. I think it's it's not it's not fair to separate our moments of struggle, our moments of conflict our moments of rejection with our moments of triumph and joy so this is something i struggle with when it comes to eulogies and and maybe that's what a eulogy is maybe you just give a shout out to all the positives so maybe this is just a, what a eulogy is and maybe biography is just something different i wonder if i will one day write a biography of my friend rob and sometimes i often wonder if i should just work on an autobiography because I think I've had a very um, odd experience, like many of us, but I have the ability to tell it now. And um, I'm, th I'm thinking more about having an autobiographical season and focus on just, yeah, how I, you know, how culture, culture and emotions as experienced through, you know, my lens. I know that's, bringing it back to Rilke, that's something that was a big thing with him. I think he really lost his sovereignty by his mom making him be a girl and as a poet he came to be a real champion of the individual and the truest genuine expression of yourself you know that noble path of the artist see the artist in modern times is such a self-promoter and maybe they always have been i don't know it's it's true art seems to happen for art's sake and to make a living as an artist seems so vastly far away from that and requiring such a a large set of skills that is quite different from the creation of the art 
And perhaps here I am once again defending, <laughs> forming a defensive stance of my own proclivity to produce, but my lack of impetus to self-promote, quote-unquote, properly in these modern times where self-promotion seems to be 80% of the game. But I guess I still have faith that if you produce something that is genuine, honest, thoughtful, and caring, it will find its place. Let me know what you think of this podcast. It's it's quite different in tone, I I, I gather, and it is a, a bit more of a brainstorm, a meander. But let me know what you think. Just trying to give you my best. Okay, so looking back on today, we talked a little bit about the value of talking, um, the value of brevity. And when we're going for a walk or we're washing the dishes, should we, you know, how valuable is it to be talking, to engaging others, to engaging podcast guy, you know, to be engaging someone on the phone, to be checking your phone and texting. These are beautiful things and we're sharing time with people. But I guess let's be aware that that alone time is not really alone time. That's shared time through, through a medium. So... Is it worth bracketing some alone time for ourselves? I sure believe it is. And what does that look like? And does it require turning off the phone and getting away from text? But then again, we have some friends that we could have alone time with. You know what I mean? So how does that play into this? These are some important questions. And I think um, I think Rilke, if I keep reading this biography, will really be a stimulating character in the discussion of the value of alone time. So... Maybe that will be a good summer, summer project, summer, because in summer you have a lot of time with nature, a lot of time with retreats, uh, you know, a lot of time retreating into nature. And this is really valuable time. I've been biking a lot, like I said, and, and it's really quiet. It's quiet time. And so give thanks for the medium. Give thanks for listening. Couldn't, couldn't, wouldn't be here if people weren't listening. So uh, let's keep it up. Stay hydrated, exercise, have a good day, bye-bye.